we've been doing a series in James, and last week Jack talked in chapter 4, and we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit, and we're going to go back to chapter 2 and do the first part of those verses, and I'm just going to give you fair warning. Um, there's not a lot of fluffery in here. It, it's kind of to the point, and it's, it kind of gives a one-two punch, and so I just wanted to give you guys a heads up about that. In chapter 1, James talks about the true religion is taking care of the orphans and taking care of the widows and that we need to be really careful that we don't pollute ourselves and that we don't stain ourselves with the things of the world. And the way that we do that is that we got to see the way, see things the way God sees things and view things the way God views them and think like God thinks and act and live our life the way that God would want us to live. And in chapter 2, we're going to talk about how one of the ways that we get a little polluted is the way that we view things, how we see people. Many of you might know that I love basketball, and it's kind of cool because we're in March Madness, or we're about ready to start March Madness. I've been playing since I was um, fourth and fifth grade. I played on the all-boys team because way back when, uh, they didn't have girls basketball. That's how old I am. And you had to play on a boys team. And in fact, I'm so old. That when I started playing ball in high school, it was the first year they had instituted the three-pointer in high school that year. So I've definitely dated myself. I know you can't tell. Starting point guard. Um, and, it's, and one of the things I got to do in college was we used to, I used to get to hang out and do safety with the Phoenix Suns, do some of the exhibition games when they came up to NAU. So I used to hang out with Charles Barkley and KJ and Dan Marley, if you guys are old enough to know them. Woo! But thank you. There's, we've got two people. Um, now, it was kind of cool. I mean, they're tall and they're awesome at basketball and I love basketball. But I don't really get into the whole autographs, taking pictures and that kind of fuss. It actually embarrasses me. It embarrasses me to, to talk, I mean, not to talk to them, but how I see people acting. In fact, there was, it was embarrassing to see how people just kind of threw themselves at these ball players. A specific story I remember is that um, the stands were up here and I was standing next to Charles and he's like this and I'm like this and um, people were trying to get autographs and they were surging forward and there was a two-year-old stuck in the front against this, this railing. So he's like, hey guys, guys, the, the two-year-old. So like a good mom, the mom next to him picks up the baby and then throws the baby over the railing to Charles Barkley. And he was like, what? And he's got a temper, if you don't know that. He starts yelling and screaming and cussing. He was like, who throws their baby at somebody? And the mom's like, ah. She wanted his attention so bad. She threw her baby over the railing. It was just crazy. One time we were in a group of kids, and he was he was really actually good with kids. He was signing autographs. And this girl comes out of nowhere, pulls her shirt down and says, will you sign my chest? And he was like, okay, there's kids around. What are you thinking? She wanted his attention so bad. She didn't care that there was the kids around and that she was going to have to take off her clothes for it. It was embarrassing. But, you know, at the time I didn't make a big deal of it, you know, but I was wondering that, you know, Michael Jordan, again, I'm old school. He's one of my favorite ball players. And I wondered if I would have acted a little bit differently if it was him next to me. Or what if he came down the center aisle? Would I be like, whoa, we got to stop. I got nothing else to say. Hi, MJ. Woo! You know, how would I act? Think about it for yourself a minute. Who, who would, if they walked in church right now, would you just lose your grip if you could, if you could meet them? How would you react? 
Tonight in James chapter 2, if you go ahead and want to turn with me, we're going to see how James, the Jesus of brother, how he says we should see people and see if it kind of lines up with, with what the world is doing today. So James, just so you know, I was in my Bible um, and I lost James and I thought, how did they not put that in the Bible? James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to a man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I, I warned you guys. I mean, I, I wonder what you think he means by this. Could he have been any more straightforward? Do you think he meant something else but do not show favoritism? Be because you become judges with evil thoughts. Again, if, if LeBron James came into church right now and every, there was no seats around, would we be like, dude, you got to stay in the back. You're tall. You can handle this. You got to stay in the back. Or would you be like, could you sit here down at my feet? Could you just sit there by my feet? Because you're, I know it's uncomfortable. You're a big guy, but just hang out there. Or would you be like, hey, have my seat, LeBron. Hey, you're a good ball player. Is that what you would do? How about if it was a homeless guy? We probably would ask him to stay in the back. How easy would we give up our seat? Because, I mean, a lot of times they make us uncomfortable. Favoritism literally means a respecter of persons. Favoritism literally means a respecter of persons. And James is saying, do not assume. Do not assume that there's one person that is better than another person. Do not get people on different levels. Not, no one's more important. Don't treat pe- people, people differently. Poop, poop. Don't treat people differently. But we do, don't we? And they did back then. Let me give you a little bit of cultural background. Back then, just like it is now, the rich and the poor, they didn't hang out. The rich people had their parties. They would throw the food out, the scraps, throw it out the window literally, and the poor people would come by and pick it up. Money was a huge prestige issue, which it is now. It's not that much different. And church was literally the only place they could go, sit together, and hang out. And now James is saying, what are you guys doing? You're still saying, you sit there at my feet? You're, you're catering to the rich still in church? Because the world, I mean, that's okay, right? It, it's the world. We, it, we expect that. But it's not okay to come to church and be treated the same way. It is not okay. Favoritism is using people. It's preferring somebody over another. Because they've got more to offer. You give them more time. You're more interested in what they want to say. You give them more attention. You get the first person you'll go to in a party. Favoritism is kind of like, what can I get out of this? And life is like a ladder. There's my ladder. Ooh, I'm all scared of heights. There's my ladder. We, life's like a ladder. We climb to the top. I'm not, I'm a big girl. I'm not getting up there. I'm just saying we climb to the top and we know that there's certain people that are going to help us get up the ladder of life. We know there's certain people and there's certain people that really aren't going to do much. 
We can go into a room and you, and I've done it a million times. In fact, I did it tonight and I was praying against it. You go into a room and automatically you're like, okay, I need to avoid that person and this person. I need to talk to this person. This person might get me a job. I got an angle. You start calculating. Who are you going to talk to? What can you get out of it? Even if it's just a delightful conversation. And in verse 2, he says, and as believers, as believers in our glorious God, if we truly were in awe of God, there would not be different levels of people, especially in the light of God. There is God and then people. There is no ladder according to him. There is no ladder. But we easily get starstruck. Not just with Hollywood people or sports people. Anybody that's super good looking, you're like, duh. You just become dumb when, around them. Fame, money, talents. I mean, the, I'm in awe of these guys up here playing the guitar, singing. I can't carry a tune. Maybe we favor, we have favoritism over, to our children over our husbands. Maybe we have favoritism over one child at home and not the other, no matter how hard we try. Maybe we have favoritism over co-workers. One co-worker is a little bit better than the other co-worker, and we treat them as such. Maybe it's that rich friend. Maybe it's the coach that can get Johnny to the, to the Olympics, because, you know, everybody's kid's an all-star. Favoritism, it becomes a respecter of persons. Let's look in chapter, um, verses 5 through 7. Listen, because James is not done bringing it. You thought that was the tough part? He still has more to come. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit in the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Are they not the ones blaspheming? It's usually the poor. This is what James is saying. It's usually the poor who love God, who have the bigger faith. And I'm letting you guys know you're saying, well, I'm poor. My bank account is low. No, we have more than the 90% of the world. And he's not saying that rich people can't love God. He's not saying rich people can't have a big faith. He's just saying it's harder because we've got our whole ladder thing. We've got our ladder. We've, got, we've built us a little empire. We've got our, we've got, we've, we have all this stuff around us. We get distracted very easy. But if you've ever gone to Africa or Mexico or on a missions trip, they don't have many distractions. They're just trying to survive. And you're like, well, great. That's why they got to depend on God. Yeah. But they are so filled with joy and awe because they love God and they understand his glory. We've become a respecter of persons and not God. Favoritism, it skews our perspective. It twists the way we look. Think. We've got it all jacked up. It's backwards. We lift up all those people even when they reject God. Or they slander him. Most of the people that you see on TV, they'll even say they don't even believe in God. They claim atheism. And will still put their faces on a t-shirt, spend hundreds of dollars to go see him in concert. 
will still do that. We lift them up. What if Thor, Thor, I need you to be with me, Chris Hemsworth, what if he showed up at church? He'd be like, oh, Thor. I mean, if he literally, he walked in there, I'm a huge Avengers fan. Would you just be like, oh, Kimberly, that's a cute shirt. What you're saying, I could just, I can totally tell you love Jesus. No, he'd be like, Thor's coming down the aisle. And if he sat down, you'd be whispering, should we get his autograph on Instagram? Let's do it slyly. We'd get distracted, right? You guys wouldn't care if I was up here, Jack was up here, or whoever was up here. It's Thor. But would you be concerned, just as concerned with his eternal salvation as you would for his autograph? Would you be just as concerned? Or would you care more about the picture because it's going to look good on your Facebook or Instagram as you would thinking, God, will he even see you in heaven? Will he get to spend eternity with you? What if God suddenly appeared? Right now, in his throne, in all his glory on this stage, right now. I don't care. I mean, do you think that we would care who was sitting next to us, even if it was Thor? If we had our sights on the glorious Lord? Do you think if he was here in this building, that we could take our eyes off him? No way. See, that's the problem. We forget. We take our eyes off of him. We get distracted. By the money, the fame, the good looks, the power, the talent, whatever. And we become a respecters of persons. And we just, we just don't love people for who they are just because they're God's creation. We, we start putting them in this different caste system. And as believers, like he said in verse 2, in a glorious God, we should see things as there is a great God out there and there are people. And that's it. A great God and people. There's not a great God and then like the Pope and then the pastor and the blah, blah, blah. It's not all that. It's people and a great, great God. And our job, our job as believers, he's talking to believers, is to show mercy and love and sharing. And the church, you guys, the church can't be consumers. What, what do you got for me? What, what can you give me? What can I give from you? What can I get for you? Because it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. It says anything. Are we really being, is the church really being all that different from the world? Are we looking to show mercy? Are we looking to show grace? Are we looking at people differently? It's really easy to say, oh, hi, friends, blah, 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 kisses, kisses, let's do dinner afterwards. And ignore the new person who just walked in. Or ignore the guy who's kind of a little scary and a little gangster looking. Which is most our worship band. Just kidding. <laughs> or the girl who's a little bit weird. Who doesn't fit in. Doesn't dress right. Maybe they're a little disheveled. How we view people is in direct opposition usually than how God sees people. How we view people is usually in direct opposition to how God sees people. When, when Brian and I, um, when I first met Brian and we were going to church and I was a brand new Christian, we used to go to church literally a couple blocks away. And it was a church about 800. And 
when you came out of church to get your kids, everybody gathered in this huge courtyard. It was inside the church. And I mean, it was just a mass of people. And at one time there was this guy that was standing there and um, you could tell he did not fit in. You could tell he was a drug drug addict. He had scabs all over his arms. His teeth were falling out. You, I think you could tell he was coming down for something, com, coming down from something. And I'm sitting on this bench um, looking at him. And I hear God say, Kimberly, you need to go say hi. So I do what I do. I do nothing. I sit there and I was like, oh, no, I got nothing to say. What am I going to say? I got nothing to say. I start rationalizing in my head. I'm a brand new Christian. I don't have anything to say. We'll see. There's got to be more mature people out there to talk to him. So literally stands there and I watch 800 people walked by him that Sunday and did no one, not a one person said hi, didn't even acknowledge his presence, but God's a God of second chance. So I go into the office and I'm ranting and raving to myself. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you missed that opportunity. And I'm at the water fountain and he walks in to the office. Here's my second chance. I say, you want some water? He said, yeah, that'd be great. And I knew I was supposed to engage in the conversation more. And I didn't. I go into church. I'm mad at myself. I knew I should have said something. I just, blah. And Brian, I can't find Brian anywhere. It says one Sunday off. We got, we're going to sit together. So now I'm in an uproar. Because Brian never shows up at church. So I finally go find Brian. And I was like, Brian, where have you been? Blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a mess. And he says, the craziest thing happened. This guy, I think he's a heroin addict. And I just spent the last 45 minutes talking to him. Really, Brian? Of course you did. (laughs) Of course you did. So I was so mad. Like, I couldn't even talk to Brian. I was mad at Brian. I was mad at everybody. So I'm telling my um, other church friends and ladies about, you know, I really felt that, that failure that I did not say something to him. And their response was, I kid you not. Oh, honey, don't you feel bad? That's Brian's job. He's called to do things like that. And I was like, call. I'm a new Christian. I was like, called? He's called? Where does it say only, only Brian's would do that? Where, what? And he said, you know, not all of us could, could, could talk to a heroin addict. And I was like, oh, but Brian could. Brian, who's never done drugs in his life, who had no rebellion, who has nothing in common with him. And I did. Like, I should. Brian has something in common with him? Really? I mean, we can justify it any way you want, guys. But if you see someone standing in your church, in our church, and you walk by them and you go say hi to your friends who will always be your friends, and you ignore them, you are rejecting the children of God. There is no... I told you this wasn't just warm fuzzy. He is saying, do not worry about your friends. Catch up with them later. That guy was in our church for such a time as this, and I and 800 people blew them off. And Brian, oh, 45 minutes, I just was talking to him. It's been 20 years, and you can tell that I'm just kind of not over it. Favoritism. Favoritism is the complete opposite of love. God's love is based on the gospel. Favoritism is in contrast to that. Who does who Jesus invite to a party? I I don't think it'd be most of us, actually. 
It's, he, he, I don't think it would be. Who do you invite to the party? Who do you invite to the party? Favoritism is who can give me more of what I want? And love is how can I help them? How can I give back? How can I serve them? Favoritism is the opposite of love. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. I'm just letting you know he's still not done. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbors as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who is said, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. This is where he's saying, like, you don't get to choose sin. Like, this is good sin. This is bad sin. It's all lumped together. In verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Again, pretty straightforward. It's called the royal law because it's like the supreme law, like the Big Mac daddy or something of the law of how we should treat people. You guys, favoritism is a big deal. It's not like, oh, well, at least I didn't murder somebody today. No, favoritism is a big deal. It is rooted in sin. Our hearts towards Jesus is exposed by how we treat others. Our heart towards Jesus is exposed on how we treat others. How we treat people matters. And you don't get to put it on the level of sin. Like, oh, well, it's just not as bad as, you know, committing adultery. He's saying, no, it's all the same. Favoritism is about climbing the ladder. And Jesus descends the ladder. In Philippians 2, he says he came to serve. He came to serve. So we're so busy climbing this ladder. Go to high school, go to college, get a job, get married, more and more, get a better job. We're climbing that ladder on the way up. That Jesus is passing us by going, where, where are you going? That's the wrong way. we got to come down here to serve the least of these. What are you doing? I want to show you a video. Hopefully, I want to show you a video. Of some special people and how God, they think God sees them. When I think about what God thinks of me, I thank Him. Because I've been through a lot. I have three open heart surgeries and I'm here. Oh, I, I. God thinks I, I'm not abandoned. Not lonely. I'm also not depressed. And lovable, kind person. He loves me. I just can't think like he he's silly this time. He could be silly that around that time. He might get in trouble a little bit. I still love him anyway, sort of thing. A smile. He thinks I'm cool. God. God always comes first. Even before these insanely cute boys that I like. 
But God always comes first. God thinks I'm cool. I've watched this video over 10 times so that I wouldn't cry. When it, and every time he says that, God thinks I'm cool. It slays me. God, for just one day, could we see and value what you value? Could we see what is beautiful, what you think is beautiful? As God looks in this room, what does he see? Is he saying, that guy, that guy right there, he's after my heart. That's who I would lift up. Does he look at these kids and say, those kids? She said, her words were, God comes first, even over those insanely cute boys I like. God comes first. She's after God's heart. That's who God would lift up. I bet how we view people is it different than the way God views people. The people that we see as first are actually last and vice versa. You know, it's, it's cute to see these videos and be like, oh, that's cute. They're cool, but I'm a special ed teacher. And I'm going to let you know, how many times do these people get, kids get invited to the party? How many times do they get invited after church for dinner? And here's the motivation in verse 12. Here's the motivation to not show favoritism. Because you will be judged. James is saying, speak and act like those who we be judged by the same mercy they show others. Because one day we're going to stand before God and we are going to need mercy. We're going to need mercy for the lying and the cheating and the stealing and the coveting and the lusting and the not honoring our father and mother. We're going to need that same mercy. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is this last part of that verse, the law that gives freedom. God is such an awesome God. He gives us a stream mercy because he gave us his son. He's going to say, yeah, I know, Kimberly, your printout list. Ooh, girl, it's long. But my son stood in the gap for you. That is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. And the people, the people who get this, the people who get how awesome and big God is, they in turn are not just the ones kissing their friends and inviting their friends to the party. They in turn are the ones who are going out and showing the world who Jesus is. Loving people well just because God created them. They're not going around wanting things from other people or seeing them through the polluted eyes that we have. They are seeing people the way God sees people. When you get how big God is. Tonight, I want to challenge Element City Church that we start seeing people through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Jesus. Through the lens of love, the worship team, they sung that song, I will be found or I will run into the arms of love. Church, we need to be that. It is not okay that people come to church and do not feel loved. We need to join God by getting to the, to the point where we are not so in awe of those people. Because we want their autograph or we want to say that we can, we're sitting next to them at the restaurant. 
We're joining God because we want to love people well. Element City Church should be a group of people that are so blessed, so fulfilled by God, so filled with love, that all we want to do is give our Jesus out and tell everybody about him. Imagine if that were our reputation. What if the church was known for that? Crazy. We wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't even be able to keep people in. I mean, we wouldn't have room for anybody. Our doors would be busting at the seams. If we were that church, known for looking at people through the lens of Jesus. As we go to communion tonight, I told you that tonight was going to be short, maybe not sweet, and it packs a one-two punch. James puts, lays it out there. He was pretty straightforward in what he had to say. But the good news, the good news is that our God is so amazing and showed us, showed us such extreme mercy that he lets his son stand in the gap for a bunch of people that have nothing to offer him but sin. What's our first step? Well, during communion time, how about we start praying for forgiveness? I knew I was preparing for this sermon, and I struggled with favoritism. In fact, one lady walked in, and I was like, oh my gosh, Micah, he's my favorite person in the whole world. And I was like, nice, Kimberly. I mean, he is. He's one of my favorite people, but I, really. Pray that we can start seeing people differently. Start thinking of who might you be ignoring, who, who you're not inviting because of this internal caste system that we've got going on, this ladder, this leveling thing we got. God showed us mercy and our response to the cross should be showing mercy to the least of these. And that's the kind of church Element City Church wants to be. Dearly Father, I just want to thank you so much for who you are, Lord. I just want to thank you that you are so big and so amazing. That you just aren't going to just leave us to, to, to what we, we deserve. That you love us so much you sent your son to die on the cross. For each and every one of us. Lord, you didn't make a mistake with not one person. And Lord, let us, let the scales fall from our eyes. Let us see people through your lens. Let us love people because you created them, not from what we could get from them. Lord, fill this place. Change our hearts, change our mind, change our attitude. Let us be a church that loves people well. In your son's name I pray. Amen.